Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello! Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought. This is the podcast that's on a mission and it's going to equip you with all of the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, Sunday Times best-selling author of The Science of Nutrition. Please go check out my new book. I think it will help a lot of people out there. And founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. Now, in each of the 12 episodes, I'll be joined by guests, all of whom are experts in their field, which is wonderful. So together, we can all learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted experts advice. Technology is drastically transforming food production and the way that food is viewed and consumed is just no longer the same. There are a vast number of benefits of course that come with this evolution but is everyone ready to adapt to this new and interesting way of viewing food and eating and what impact will these changes have on the business and ethics of eating? It's an interesting conversation and this week's Food for Thought sees Dr. Stuart Faramond. I'm so excited to chat to him. We're going to explore the future of food, what it holds for us and the changes we'll need to make to support a healthy lifestyle and the planet. Hello, Stuart. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. It's been so lovely to have you back on the podcast, a Sunday Times bestselling author now. Um, it's exciting, but I think what we're about to talk about, Stuart, isn't as exciting, and it's the fact that could we run out of food by 2050? Yeah, it's sort of a bit depressing, really, and especially with what's going on in the, in the world at the moment. Well, hopefully, by the, end of, uh, by the end of today, it's not all doom and gloom. But yes, uh, this whole idea of can we, will we run out of the food by 2050, if you if you Google that, you find that there's lots of very reputable people who claim that that is that is true, um, and we certainly are facing a bit of a food crisis because population is getting bigger, um, and um, there's only so much world that can produce food, and so there is a huge looming crisis. Whether it's going to be 2050, I mean. It gives the idea the idea that we're going to fall off a cliff when we get to 2050. But what you know, what is going to happen is that food's going to be more expensive. Um, there's probably going to be, especially with climate change issues in the less developed, poorer parts of the world, there will be food shortages. It will get more expensive for all of us. But I don't think we're not going to fall off a cliff in 2050. And actually, there was some research published uh, a year or two ago that that said that that isn't going to happen. Because actually, the rate of which we're producing food is increasing, and so it is going to have to increase quite markedly. 
um, by about 50%, but it's, we don't have to double the amount of um, uh, agriculture and, and food production than we are doing today. Mm. But we are going to have to make some, or worldwide, globally, we're going to have to make some drastic changes just so that we don't face um, huge famine and, you know, incredible, incredibly high food costs. Um, okay. you know. So, yes, we have challenges, but it's not as yeah. doom and gloom as, as you perhaps think. Well, it's interesting you say that. I mean, there's so many questions that pop into my head and I want to ask you about the environmental impact and all those things. But I guess I think we should start with the fact that if we're producing more, I mean, oh. can technology and nutrition really work together uh, in harmony, I guess? Can that be possible? Uh, can, it, can they work together? I mean, we've got two issues here. We've got one is to how do we get enough calories to, into all the people in the world? as in how do we stop people from starving? And I guess the other thing is how can we nourish people properly? Um, and first of all, you've got to, there's still people that, you know, people that are dying of malnutrition. Lots of people that are dying of malnutrition around the world. So we need to at least provide the, the basic uh, nutrients. And for a long time now, there's been talking about golden rice, uh, mm. which, has been, which was a genetically engineered crop to have vitamin A, uh, in it to sort of help vitamin A deficiencies in parts of the world where uh, very um, nutrient poor diets. So a very easy way to get additional nutrients into people's diet. But it's been huge amounts of backlash and it's never really taken off because of the whole stigma of genetic uh, modified crops. Um, but I think that now we've got more um, sophisticated genetic ed editing technology. So you may have heard of a technology called CRISPR. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's a CRISPR. CRISPR. It's spelled uh, CRISP and then R at the end. It's pronounced CRISPR. CRISPR. Hmm. Um, it's, a, it's an acronym for, complicate, for a very complicated term. That it's essentially an editing technique of, of DNA. So whereas what we do, you know, traditionally is that you get your plants or whatever it is, uh, the DNA, and you um, basically insult it to sort of make it break, to make it break apart. And you bombard it with uh, another gene from another organism or another plants that you want to have in that, uh, in that DNA. And sometimes it will go in the right place and then you'll end up with something that works. Maybe you've got a, you know, say you've got a vitamin, a gene coding for a vitamin that you want in a specific plant. And then eventually you'll end up with a crop that actually works. But it's a real sort of hit and miss. You know, let's bombard, um, uh, you know, our target plant with with this this bit of DNA that we want to shoehorn into it. Um, now we've got more sophisticated um, technology, and, th and particularly this thing called CRISPR means that you can, you can essentially go in to the DNA of whatever it is, and you Amazing. can make edits, just like if you're in a, in, in a word processor, you can like chop bits out and you can put things in. Yeah. So it means that you don't have to, it's less hit and miss, and actually you can tweak things more easily. So, and it's more like um, crossbreeding. So, rather than spend years and years trying to crossbreed two uh, two uh, lines of, of of crop to get a hybrid, um, you can just you can you can artificially do that. And so, it's less 
what was called transgenic. Uh, trans mean taking from a, a different plant or different creature and putting it into it. We don't have to resort to that now. It can be much more sophisticated. And so gene editing doesn't quite have the stigma of gene modification. So And it yes. gives us much more control over things, which can actually help with, uh, with nutrition. So we can use this uh, very advanced nutrition to help uh, boost uh, crop productivity and to boost, boost nutrition as well. I mean, obviously, it's a very sort of controversial level. We'd love to do it naturally. It is very and, controversial, and, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, you know, using the science to, to tweak uh, with, our, with our foods. But, you know, I think with, you know, we've got to sort of think uh, rationally and uh, practically about the challenges that we're facing and actually when it comes to feeding people I think it gets to a point where you've got to say actually uh, what's more important is it our scruples or is it the fact that um, we need to actually stop people starving some people will stick to the ideals I'm not sure if I'm so wedded to that um, uh, because I think this is a much safer uh, and more uh, robust way of, 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 of offering a solution basically yeah. speeding up um um crossbreeding basically speeding up crossbreeding which is something that we've done since the dawn of time you know most of the crops that we have today are nothing like the ones that that, that evolved in this world around us um, yeah which you know. i think people will find very hard to believe because there is the, the the purist camp you know that probably have no idea of that they probably just think that the banana today and the uh the aubergine today is how it's yeah. always been but like you said things have changed and would this technology help with the environmental impact at the moment that there's a lot of concern around carbon footprint yes potentially i mean there's uh they have managed to produce bananas that don't age it's just one example they produce bananas that don't age as quickly and so you're going to have less food waste as a result of that you can get uh, crop yields to be better and to hopefully potentially be more pest resistant. Um, so yeah, and actually even crops that, that, that harvest more carbon dioxide from the air to sort of speed mm. up, uh, you know, particularly with things that we'll, we'll leave in the ground. So trees, for example, can speed up the what's called carbon sequestration, sequestration, um, or getting the car the co2 from the air and hopefully you know helping us in our battle against climate change wow yeah so, oh yeah. it's it's so interesting i mm. but is there a danger of the world then so as you say this is happening people aren't aware of it There's lots of scientists like yourself reading about this doing this looking into it is mm. there a point where we've become so data-led that I guess the whole marketplace of food becomes this way and we've really lost the the origins completely. I think when you talk about being data-led, I think that turns my mind to sort of personal nutrition mm. and in terms of when we're making nutritional choices, are we being too data-led by that? Is that is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, yeah, it can be. And I suppose equally with the you know, the technology you've just mentioned as well, oh. the fact that you can mass produce things and tweak things and change it. And perhaps that's more commercially viable for a supermarket or, you know, things become more affordable. Will we lose oh. the the wholesome, I guess, the purest camps approach to food? Would we lose that completely? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think a lot of this that I've described is still experimental. 
Um, so these are things that will probably be coming online in a few years if there is the political will for it to happen, um, which is a big question mark. Um, mm. But are we losing the the nutritional quote unquote purity? I think that's a kind of a what's called a naturalistic fallacy that that things are better back in the day when nature yeah. was undisturbed. But you mentioned aubergine. Um, Americans call that eggplant. Yes. <laughs> yes, and that's because originally the, they looked like small eggs, little white, yeah. uh, little white fruits. So we think that that we're having something pure, but actually we would have something from from centuries of crossbreeding, so that we get this big, lovely purple thing. The same with. You know, cucumbers, apples, everything that you look at, every vegetable that you look at in 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 the supermarket, you know, cauliflowers and broccoli are from the same plant that's been crossbreed to be these wildly different looking things. Um, <laughs> so I think you've got to sort of be a bit humble about this. Yeah. Uh, but you are, but you're right in the, and I think particularly when we come onto things about sort of meat substitutes and lab grown yes. things, is that you definitely, you know, and that is a that is a sort of burgeoning technology field let's chat about this then Stuart let lab grow meat I want to yes. go down that path because Excellent. it's so popular right now I mean we're at a time where people are making more plant-based switches reducing their animal consumption they want to consume more veggie alternatives but at the same time there's such a huge demand for meat as well that it's being grown over in the labs there's just such a huge discussion surrounding this Yes, there's a huge discussion. The first place now that has actually approved it for human consumption is Singapore. Oh. Um, they've it's, a, it's an American company and they produce uh, lab-grown, I think, a shrimp um, because they have a lot of seafood over there. And the thing is with Singapore, for example, uh, I don't know if you've ever been, uh, but it's a tiny little... Uh, it's a tiny little. I have been city. Stuart for forty-eight yeah. hours on a singing gig. I didn't get to see anything, but I I have visited Singapore. It's an incredible me. place. It's an incredible yeah. place. If you did have a little bit longer, um, but yeah, they obviously they import nearly all of their food, and so they're a very they need to, in terms of their food security, uh, they're very vulnerable, and so they have you know quite logically approved this this technology. We're, it's going to be a while till until we see it on our supermarket shelves, and much like so protein alternatives such as insects there's going to be a huge difficulty in actually getting it people to accept it and I'm quite skeptical about it whether it's going to be all that people uh, think it will be yeah. um, I was in a I was in a meeting with some other sort of quote-unquote thought leaders and and food futurists for um, for a, a, um, a company that wanted our so they had a sort of a, a talking heads kind of meeting um, and mm. Some of the people there were convinced that they were, you know, lab-grown meats were going to be the next big thing. I'm not convinced, wow. to be honest. You know, you've only got to look at sort of genetic modified food, which was heralded 20 years ago as going to, you know, be radically transforming. We were going to have apples that were never going to bruise. We were going to have tomatoes that tasted uh, like candy. Uh, but it but it never happened um, because there was a the backlash. And I think, at least in the Western world, where we have the luxury or we think we have the luxury of of having uh, you know your Aberdeen Angus steak we're not going to accept it we're not going to want something that that is actually what is done is you get a a muscle cell of your chosen animal be it uh, a chicken be it a a cow or whatever and in a bioreactor so in a lab so in a big sort of when it's scaled up into a big sort of big vat 
you grow up, you get this, this, this cell to multiply countless times until you end up with a sheet of muscle, essentially. Mm. You know, this is muscle that's never been exercised. So it's, oh. it's, so it's basically it's pure muscle cells that you then sort of, you harvest, you squidge up into a ball, um, and then you cook it, you add lots of flavorings because it's got no fat, it's got no, no, no real texture to it. And so you add, you add lots of sort of preservatives and flavors and all sorts of things to it to make it taste anything like, um, like, like meat. You cook it up, you, you shape it into a, like a chicken nugget or a burger, and then you serve it up and go, look, you've got their uh, lab-grown meat. So yes, it is, but I tell you what, um, have you heard of a term called nutritional dark matter? No, please fill okay. me in. Nutritional dark matter. So you and I, we you, we think that we know quite a lot about nutrition. We know all about, you know, nutrients, carbohydrates, all the vitamins and minerals. Might even know about the the like the phytonutrients, the, the sort mm. of the things like the antioxidants that come from plants that are really beneficial to us. Uh, we know a fraction of the things that are in our food. We only yeah. know about 99%, well, 99% of what is in our food, the substances in there, we don't even know. Amazing. It's been recently estimated that there's 27,000 different health important compounds in foods yeah. that are completely undocumented. Doesn't so surprise garlic, me, doesn't you know, surprise me. Garlic, for example, has, you know, 2,600 important, you know, health important substances in it but they only ever took that at most people will only report 150 and probably less than that you know you look in at most texts and you'll see only a handful of things that, that are actually of uh of any importance so we really are in the dark ages and because we know so little you know when we do do all these you know crossbreeding and all this sort of stuff we've got to be aware that there's lots of stuff that we might be tampering with that we know absolutely nothing around and this huge complexity of 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 stuff if you like that is in our food interacts with us interacts with our yeah. uh with our genetics everybody processes food differently you only got to speak to people about how they find eating bread for example and uh, you'll probably go into a room and there'll be half the people in the room who's, who describe symptoms that they get from uh from eating any kind of wheat um mm. to know that everybody's different then we've got our the the bugs in our guts they, they process it everybody's but gut yeah. bugs are different and will process the food differently. Um, so you've got that huge level of complexity. Um, so you, so is going to be, are we being too data led? So I we, think we, so in that so sense. It, there is a danger, we, but we know so little. Um, mm. Only now in recent times are we getting to a thing, things called personalised diets where yes. you're getting tailored personalised nutrition to yourself. And there is a danger that that takes the joy out of food, mm -hmm. you know, much like uh, smartwatches and Fitbits can take the joy yeah. out of exercise. Because but I guess it's important though, isn't it? Because I get, like you said, we're all so unique. How will we know unless we do the data? Mm. Yeah, I mean, one, th uh, there's a very, uh, I can send, I can put some links up to some papers. Please do, yes. In your show notes, because there's a, a term that, that is called the foodome, which is, you might have heard of your microbiome, which is which is the the the, the guts, the, your gut bugs. Um, yeah. This term called food foodome, 
which is a bit like a barcode of all the different substances in everything that you eat. If you were to compile it together, uh, and you, can, it, you can make it look like a barcode and, and your daily food intake will be like a barcode of where you have a lot of, a lot of maybe whatever it is, a uh, particular vitamin or it's iron or it's carbohydrates or, or specific fat in your diet, that will be a big wedge in, in, your, in your barcode. And you can look and, and by compiling all that together, you will have of your food, your, your barcode, if you like, and that will interact with you, your genetics and your microbiome, those trillions of bugs that are in your large intestine that do wonderful things to your food and they help boost your immunity. Um, and if you have the wrong kind of um, gut bugs, then you're more likely to put on weight, for example, you, you'll get more calories out of your food, all these different things together. And, you know, it's quite exciting, but it's very daunting. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple, there are companies now that you can send off a blood sample um, and a poo sample, essentially. And I'm not sure if you need a saliva sample as well, but you send it off and they will genetically analyze you. They will look at the bugs in your gut and they will use that information to give you a tailored uh, diet or give you a list of foods that are going to be beneficial for you and foods that are less beneficial for you. Mm. There was a study in 2015 um, by an Israeli, uh, I can't remember which one, university, or they were actually a group of computer scientists who decided that they would have a look at how whether you can use computer data science to look at how the everybody processes food differently. And they got a bunch of people and they monitored everything that they ate over a certain a period of time, it might have been a month or something, um, and they looked at their blood sugars and how it varied throughout the day when, after they ate different foods. And you and I know that, that we're told um, sugary sweet treats and white rices, um, um, they make our blood sugar have a spike. Um, mm. and, you know, but they found that that wasn't necessarily the case with all people. So for some people, they'd have ice cream and their blood sugar would rarely make a blip. And then mm. they'd have something like uh, tuna uh, their blood sugar would would, would spike up yeah, and so and it's so just a case of everybody's different um so again i think we've got to have a bit of humility about mm. about the things that we that we say that the, the the advice that we give yeah. is general advice it's not to say we have to throw up uh, the baby out with the bath water but no. <laughs> uh, but you just gotta you just gotta bear that in mind and i you know i think potentially it's a really exciting time in that we it can is. be sort of happier and healthier if we can if when this when all this stuff comes online uh, we've got to be very wary of the the snake oil sales people. That, so I was going to say, I mm. mean, there are also lots of phony test kits out there. There mm. are lots of people preying on the vulnerable. And actually, I would hope, I mean, I wish I could say this with more confidence, but most registered health professionals do give generic generalised advice because we know that mm. it's so complex and we don't really know everything but you will get charlatans that will sell a one-size-fits-all plan or diet mm. book or approach <laughs> won't you everywhere yeah and if you go with the general advice of how varied diet with lots of plant-based foods uh, not not much processed food 
you know, healthy lifestyle, you're not going to go far wrong. But it, but I think we, you know, there is there is a lot more that we can look into and that to you know in the future. But yes, um, it's worthwhile just being you know doing your research on any kind of company that that offers you these things. And often they won't they consider their algorithms. Um, of what tells you when you, you maybe have an app and it tells you what are your green foods and what are your red foods. Um, mm. um, you've, you know, they will be often they'll be quite, um, quite uh, not forthcoming about how they do it. So I think you'd probably want to, you know, when this becomes more popular, be quite discerning as to who you hand over cash to if it's a, a cash based uh, I mean, offering. we already see it, sadly, in the clinic mm. a lot of the time. A lot of these test kits, they can cost anywhere between 500 and 5,000 pounds, I think. It's, it's insane the amount of money that people can genuinely make from selling mm. things we don't quite have access to the legit data for. But it's so interesting, Stuart. I find yeah. this fascinating. Mm. Um, I think Tim Spector talks about that a lot as well, the difference yeah. in blood sugar response to... Um, on his twins even i think you know to different items yeah. of food if people don't know who tim specter is he's a he's a he's a, a public health or an epidemiologist doctor who has been quite the forerunner of all this stuff that i've just been describing about the personalized way in which our bodies interact with mm. with food he's also the chap who's sort of diversified in covid uh, yes. and he, he runs the the zoe the zoe yeah. uh, covid symptom uh, app and it's basically it's a way where there's um, various millions of people in the in the UK will log uh, if they have any COVID symptoms every day. Um, I mean, I do it, and, and every yeah. week he gives you a, a sort of a, a video of of what the state of play is, and, and from it he you can he gives their computer software and their uh, algorithms can work out how many people um, likely have COVID at any given time. So it's a sort of a um, an you know, he's using his system of harvesting huge amounts of people's information, processing it and getting, you know, reliable results out of it um, into something completely different. And yeah. it's proving really successful. So it's you know, very interesting. We had Tim on a long time ago on the podcast. So yeah, mm. perhaps that's a conversation to refresh. But the, the subject of the type of food we consume as well, Stuart. So there's a lot of talk on the difference. And I think I've spoken about this before with a geneticist, Giles Yeo, about ultra-processed mm -hmm. foods versus processed. But we know these have a different impact on the body, but are these also going to be engineered now then to be more healthy? And I wonder what your overall viewpoint was, because technically, I guess, this lab-grown meat is, is an ultra-processed food. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get much more <laughs> ultra-processed than, yeah. than a completely lab-grown uh, <laughs> yeah, which has then had to be, you know, done, you know, what, well, I'm going to say I horrendous mean, things to, but to actually yeah. make it something palatable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are we going to engineer food or are we going to highly processed food to make it more uh, nutritional? Uh, we will make efforts to, and I think there will be a degree of, you know, public led demand for it especially as more and more people become aware of the what uh, highly processed food is doing to us, which is, you know, I mean, you, uh, you know, I might have to listen back to that previous interview, but he, but your guess was probably unequivocal in, in the damage that, that highly processed foods do to us. Um, uh, in the, you know, I mean, you look at a packet of bread of what 
in the UK you would call um, sliced white loaf, and mm. and it's that's not bread. You know, it's not that is a highly yeah. processed food. You yeah. if you can make bread that looks like that at home, then you're doing something quite strange. <laughs> Um, you know, master baker. <laughs> I don't think you know if you had him on Bake Off trying to make sliced white loaf. You know, it wouldn't look anything like bread. Well, it wouldn't look much like bread making. Uh, just the the number of loops you have to go through to make something that's actually a cake sponge made yeah. out of made out of dough. And you just look on the back of the packet of all the things in it just to make it the the thing that it is. Um, you know, that these things aren't. You know, essentially, they're part digesting food for us, so we're not getting the benefit out of it. But any kind of processing, you know, storing our food, mm. and you know, in terms of food waste, which is going to be an important thing yes, for that's reducing, topic. Uh, that, that is important for reducing. Um, so, broccoli, for example, um, loses up to eighty percent of some of the. Um, phytochemicals the things in them that have uh one of them is called glucosinolates and they have anti-cancer benefits up to 80 percent of those in broccoli are lost um when it's just left on a supermarket shelf in between time to time of being picked and getting to you and that's just with not doing anything to the to the vegetable at all before you even got it home just that process of of taking it from the field, transporting it, being, letting it be exposed to, to light, to the strip lights in a supermarket, um, to the changing temperatures, is that it's degrading the whole time. So when you take a, 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 a vegetable, whatever it is, and then you do all these things to it, you know, nutritionally, whatever you do, I mean, I was a bit naughty last night, my, my wife was out, I would say naughty, but because I, mean, I got sort of a, a processed, uh, what is like a pla- one of these healthy plant pot things. So, um, you know, you've got all your lentils and all the things. And it was really good, but then yeah. I looked on the back and it's, but it's got loads of ingredients in. And I always tell mm. people is that if there's things on the back of the packet that you don't know what they are, then don't eat the food. I don't think there was anything on the back of the packet that I didn't know what, what it was. But even so, you know, just thinking about, yes, there's cauliflower in there. Yes, there's lentils mm. in there. Yes, there's lots of really good stuff in there. And it's yeah. giving me many of my five a day, at least two or three of my five a day in that. But it's not going to be anything like, uh, you know, me, me making something, you know, for me and my wife uh, from scratch. Because of all the processes it's gone through, you know, I mean, just as that description there of not even doing anything to a vegetable, you lose a lot of the benefit to it. So mm. even more so when it's been through, it's been through the factory and it's been sliced and diced and, you know, if something's been part cooked, you know, I mean, um, I've done quite a lot of work and written a book about spices, for example, and yes. I generally tell people, you know, and in the book I advise that if possible, get the whole spice and grind it up yourself and use it. And mm. not only will you notice there's a huge difference in the flavour, um, but it will have better health benefits for you because the moment you grind it, in the same way that the moment you squeeze that orange to make orange juice, the vitamins, the, benef- the beneficial substances in it, they're degrading. They're being lost when they're exposed to the air. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a problem because we can't all... Uh, live near the the fields of where we're where, where our food's going to be coming from, mm. but I think it's just something that we need to be aware of, and to wherever possible, 
avoid stuff that's been processed um, as much. You know, even you know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to bore you with examples now. But you go, uh, you go and say you want some porridge oats, um, and you go uh, to the shelf and you go, oh, shall I have the uh, whole uh, porridge oats that are sort of, um, you know, the organic porridge oats that have been stone ground or, or whatever, um, or do I want um, the, the fast cooking um, oats? And you look at them and they go, oh, yeah, the calories are exactly the same, the ingredients are exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not much in it, really. But actually, when you look at what happens to your blood sugar and how uh, satisfying and how long you're left full for with the two different products, the uh, the fast cooking one is very different. And that's because they've been they've been sort of part cooked. They've sort of been steamed um, in, in to sort of make them so they're part cooked when you... Uh, when you make it yourself just so it cooks more quickly. So essentially it's in part digested before you've even got it into you. And so your body, it's been half eaten, if you like, so that when your body absorbs it, it's its absorbed much more quickly. So it, it doesn't go through your intestine for as long a time. You don't get that uh, that satiation that you would do normally. So, And even that, the ingredients are exactly the same, but this, even this thing's had a very small amount of processing to it, can have a radically different effect in your body. You know, I just say that to make people, and uh, to remind us that um, we should try to get back to the the food in its um, quote unquote purest form. Oh, it's so I think it's just so confusing for people, really. I mean, mm. um, then we have the the cost barriers, like you said, the environment where people live. But it, of course, it makes perfect sense to grate some ginger yourself rather than turning to the alternative, um, you know, ground dried kind of item. Mm. And to some degree, perhaps we should be following the the grandparents or great grandparents now approach to, to food rather than technology. But like you've just said, there's there's poverty, there's so much scope, there's problems with the environment. We, we as scientists, mm. there's a need to do these things as well and, mm. and to create ultra-processed foods. So a big debate that I really want to cover, I know we're running out of time, but I really want to cover this question. It's the fact that there is an increase in plant-based eaters, I mentioned that before, and mm. we know meat consumption's also rising. But do you think, I know it's a big question for you, Stuart, but from your educated opinion, do you think one will ever outweigh the other? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Toughie, um, th- tough question. It's a tough one ever outweigh the other. I mean, we're seeing in our, you know, in the UK and probably in other um, Western um countries that meat consumption uh, isn't really increasing hugely but it's in the more um, developing world as you know wealth increases and they want to eat like we've been eating for the past hundred years and why you know the question is why can't we have our steak and will and I think there's obviously there's two battles going on here I think in our country um, we're going to have a split we're going to have people that will care on eating meats we'll have the people that will want to go plant-based and they're but they're, they want the meat-based substitutes so they will have the highly processed stuff and you'll mm-hmm. have the people who want the who want to eat less meats but do it in a more uh or i want to say normal way but more natural way of uh i hate using that word natural but by by I avoiding the process by avoiding the processed stuff and cooking things from scratch um uh, so i think that you're going to have a split is one yeah. going to beat the other? I, I don't think it's going to be an either or. I think we're just going to end up with little pockets of people who have different, uh, you know, you know, like we do today. We have, you know, a whole world of people who describe themselves as vegan, who have very mm-hmm. different outlooks on how things are done. And you have people who are vegan who will have the, the fake meats, mm-hmm. which are, you know, which are vegetable proteins um, that have been processed and flavoured to, to, to be a little bit like meat. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's going to be like, I don't think one's going to win out. It's no. we're just going to have different, uh, people are going to do different things. And in some ways, that's good that we have the freedom to do that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I think that technology offers, offers us lots of exciting potential. Yes, we've got a looming crisis in food, much like we've got a looming crisis with, with the climate. And the two are uh, interlinked. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, we've got a lot to do with food waste because um, some people say it's a half of food that we produce um, doesn't even pass human lips. Oh, I know. Other, it's other people say it's a third. Um, and so yeah. we're going to do a lot about that. And one thing yeah. is that we come up against the problem with, with plastic and, and actually mm. things like plastic. We've, we've got to weigh things up and actually putting plastic on our cucumbers, for example, seems stupid. But yeah. it increases the shelf life hugely but it doesn't dry out as much it doesn't mm. go off as much the same with broccoli you know i gave you that example if you keep yeah. it cool and you keep it shrink wrapped there's actually more nutrients in it and it lasts yeah, longer so there's there's, there's there's less waste um so these things aren't easy to um to, to weigh up i just wouldn't want to be the decision maker i mean we've mentioned in this in this episode already so yeah. we've got the fact there's that we need to produce more food. We've got the carbon footprint. We've got sustainability of the planet. We've got food waste being huge. We've got yeah. the the verge of technology, lab-grown meats and things in the way that science is changing. The evolution of food from the little tiny aubergine to the big purpley, bluey, whatever colour you want to describe your aubergine to be, yeah. variety that we have now. Is there anything else, Stuart, that we think uh-huh. is going to emerge in terms of dietary habits that we haven't touched on? Is there some crazy new thing? I think that, um, I think food will get, 
get tastier and get more exciting. You know, I think you look at, um, it's not all doom and gloom and I, because I think food at its heart is something to be savoured and something to be enjoyed. And it's it's a thing that brings us together. It's a thing of great joy. You know, my my wife and I, we love going out for, you know, you know, fantastic meals. We save up our money and we go out to, you know, mission style places because we love that experience. It's a really special thing. Um, you know, around Christmas times, weddings, funerals, it's, you know, we meet around food and actually uh, there will be pioneers that will use and are using what we're learning about, about food flavours to, uh, to generate more things that we haven't even thought of yet. Um, you know, like the Heston Blumenthal's of the future that will do yeah. crazy things. And, you know, it will be a, in many ways for diners, it will be a joyous time in the years to come. Um, mm. But with those challenges. So it's not all doom and gloom. There are many things to be to look forward to yeah. in the future. Thank what those, what those new wonder foods are going to be, I don't know. But, we um... don't know. And it's, I, I mean, there's, yeah, I'm not going to go into, there's some other questions I was thinking of, like agriculture and the way we farm and what about the animals eating more food than we eat? There's oh. just such a huge amount of things. But I am going to take questions from our listeners. So let's pick the question from Maisie. Oh. She said, I've heard of 3D foods. Oh, I think, yeah, you're the one to ask about this, Stuart. Will we be able to buy these soon? Hi, Maisie. So 3D foods. I think you're probably talking about 3D printed foods. Yeah, uh, I remember you mentioned that before. Do yeah. dive into it. Uh, yes, I mean, again, 3D printed. 3D printing is this weird thing. It's uh, 3D because you're not really printing in the sense of like a piece of paper comes out of a machine. You've got uh, these contraptions, if you like, that put layer upon layer of, you know, traditionally it's been plastic based substances that will set and you put layer upon layer. And so you can, in, in a piece of computer software, you can design something, set it going, and it will, it will produce a replica of that thing in plastic. Now, what you can do, what people have found, is that you can also do this with some foodstuffs that will that will bake. It's first been done with sugar-based things, and so you, it, they have, I say they, it has been done where you can 3D print some beautiful sort of uh, candies, if you like, these three-dimensional um, sort of like uh, cages, if you like. Um, and so, you know, again, that's, that's like a really cool thing. And... There is there is 3D printing of pizzas and things, and and the, I know there's a company out there that uses you can get food pouches um, uh, that uses um, uh, recycled food waste and offcuts to produce. Um, yeah. You can put it in, and that will it will produce it into something and bake it into like a pizza or something mm -hmm. that, that sort of reuses reuses food. So, 3D food, 3D printed food. Yes, I mean you can. It does exist now. It's quite niche and quite quite unusual, but it is technically possible to have a three D printed um, sugar house, for example, or whatever else. Um, you know, so they've they've looked at sort of doing three D printing pizzas. So potentially something that you could do in space, for example, that you could have a three D printer and you can make food. Um, when you're in orbit or something like that. Um, so yeah, I don't hope that answers your question, Maisie. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's again fascinating. Um, I'm just trying to pick the questions that we haven't covered. So Victoria hmm. 
And this kind of goes back on to the the conversation surrounding veganism. She said, Mm. do I need to be aware of the bioavailability of vegan food products compared to meat products? So does the consumer need to know? Mm. Uh, That's a really good question. And I think you maybe don't need to worry too much about the bioavailability per se, because, you know, that's potentially quite a confusing concept. Uh, And bioavailability is essentially how many of the nutrients you can get out of the food, which can often be different to the amount of nutrients that is in the food. Um, In terms of, I think if you're aware that there are nutrients that you need to be, that, that you need to maybe be more conscious of as a vegan, so things like vitamin D, uh, vitamin B12, for example, uh, certain omega fats that, that, uh, that most likely come normally in oily fish, things like this, um, you know, vegan websites, you know, there's just general health and well-being websites will give you full lists of things that you need to be aware of, iron, for example. Mm. So um, it's useful to know, you know, how much calcium am I getting from my broccoli, for example. Um, that is very useful to know, but I think... Um, just having the general themes and understanding that there are certain things that having a whole that without any kind of animal uh, based food uh, in it is more difficult to get. Yeah, yeah, very well answered. I think it's just so important to be aware of those those nutrients. But you know, as you said earlier in the conversation, I mean, we all process things differently as well. It's so interesting. Um, I'm going to move on to our fact or fiction round, Stuart. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, now it's going to be a toughie. Here we go. Okay. We all need to stop eating meat and fish. Is that true or false? You, well, you can answer or you, I can you answer. can we explain. All to, we all need to stop eating meat and fish. Mm. I think that that's false. Perfect. Insects are more nutritious than red meat. Uh, depends which nutrients you're asking about. Uh, do I have to give an answer? Yeah, I mean, you can do it. Uh, to be honest, I don't know the answer to this, Stuart, so I'm hoping you would. <laughs> uh, insects... <laughs> Uh, they're different. They're different. Um, yeah. I would probably say, on balance, probably not, uh, because there's certain because we're eating uh, muscle, you know, which yeah. has which has all the things pre-built into it that our body needs. Uh, whereas an insect is quite a different creature, and yes, it'll have lots of health benefits to it, but it's very unlike um, us as mammals. And yeah. so, you know, red meat is probably going to be more beneficial for us on balance. Oh, good thought process there. Uh, nutritionally, in so nutritional information on foods will be made mandatory. Is it not ready? Nutritional information on foods? You'd be surprised. It's op- Some of it's like voluntary in terms of like, you know, the traffic like systems and things that packages have. It's not all, you know, strictly black and white. I think increasingly there will be pressure, if not legislation, for that to happen. And I think also we're going to be seeing um, uh, carbon footprints on on food. That's going to, uh, when we mention that, but yes, I think that is going to be something that we get. So not only nutrition, uh, but carbon footprints will be on food or, yes. or, you know, food miles at the very least. Yeah. The need to supplement will become less likely. 
No, I don't think that's going to be the case at all, actually, because, yes, it might be wonderful for the technology to be there to to enhance the nutrition of some of our foods, um, but I don't think that's going to uh, necessarily fill the gap. It may end up with more problems, actually. So, um, so yes, I think there will still be a need for uh, for some supplementation for some people, is my suspicion. Yes. Dining experiences will become more sensory focused. I think that's highly likely. I think I've, I've said that already, so I'll say yes, mm. that's true. Fake meat is harder for us to digest. Uh, probably not, because it's been so processed. Um, yeah, that yeah. It's probably our body digests it very quickly, which in itself is a problem. Mm. Um, so I'd say that that, as a statement, is, is, is probably false. So interesting. Eating foods can change your DNA. Ooh, it can't directly change your DNA, but it can make changes onto your DNA, which might sound like a strange thing to say, because uh, there are things that can be imprinted onto our genetic code that aren't permanent. Um, mm. They call it, it's, it's an area of science called epigenetics, mm. epi meaning on. Um, and you find out that there are certain things in your lifestyle that get encoded onto your DNA. So if you have a very unhealthy lifestyle, then that will be encoded onto your DNA. And potentially that gets passed on in your sperm or eggs to the next generation. So the, was it the Dutch famine study. And I think what happened was that uh, there was a period uh, several hundred years ago where there was a huge famine and they found out that several generations later, there were health problems with those people um, uh, there were nutritional problems with those people that had descended from them as a direct result of the famine that, that, that their, uh, their grandparents had, had suffered. And that is a result of epigenetics, of things, of our lifestyle being passed on in our genes mm. to the next wow. generation. It doesn't change our genetics. We're still the same person, but there are other sort of messages that can get sent on. So mm. how you live today will actually bizarrely affect your affect your children in in subtle ways that we don't fully understand wow wow um next question gosh mm. uh food tracking devices are always accurate no of course they're not i mean even <laughs> even the walking you know the the fitbits aren't accurate yeah. you put on you put on two different um fitness trackers and they'll give you different distances and different readings so no of course not no Excellent. The UK will become increasingly reliant on other countries for food. Now we've got the whole Brexit pressure here. So I think there's going to be a movement towards uh, British grown food. Um, I mean, I very much at the moment try to, uh, I do notice that supermarkets put British flags on, tend to put British flags mm. on things that are grown in the, in the, in the UK. And I do, you know, I make a conscious effort often. I won't buy something unless I can find it grown uh, grown in the UK. Yeah. So I don't think that in the UK that that will necessarily be the case. I mean, maybe long term, uh, that as we, you know, that may be possible. But I think in the, in the medium term, I don't think that's going to be the case because of the political situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the political conversation is, is vast. Um, and the last question is hybrid foods are superior for our diet. Um, I wouldn't say all hybrid foods are superior to our diet, but there will be some hybrid foods. And by hybrid foods, uh, by that, I mean 
plants that have been crossbred. That's what I mean by hybrid foods. Or was the is that is there another term that you're you're meaning when you say hybrid foods? Nope, nope. That's just that. Just um, yeah. Just so you can that. you can crossbreed uh, plants to get healthier foods. Yes, absolutely. Like right. Carrots, for example, orange yeah. carrots. We were crossbred to become orange. Yeah, they were they weren't orange originally. Um, so yeah, the orange ones have yes carotenoids in it, which are very good for us. So there mm. we go. Amazing. Stuart, honestly, whenever I, I don't feel like I want to do a fact or fiction round with you because I just want to chat in more detail about all of the amazing information, but I'm really sad because that wraps up the episode and I feel like we've only scraped the surface really. Um, but we do always finish with a food for thought and I think mine today would be that I'm particularly fascinated by the I've always known we're all unique, but the fact that we really are learning more and more about how unique we are right now. Yeah. And to really listen to Stuart on the fact that we don't know everything. We don't know what's right. We can't make judgments for others about their food choices because like Stuart said, the plastic keeps the nutrition for longer, but we know at the same time we need to reduce our plastic consumption, but it may not be an option for some people, whereas some people can afford to get access to nutrition from other sources. And it's just one huge um, complex bubble of uh, rising information um, waiting to be popped, really, I think, ultimately. It's a humongous discussion, and I really don't envy the people in charge of the government, public health, nutrition, climate change right now, having to make these very difficult decisions, but they have to be made. I think, Stuart, I'll let you leave our listeners with a food for thought today that might be a bit more concise than, <laughs> than mine. <laughs> I don't know if it could be more concise, but okay. So I guess my food for thought would be that there are huge challenges uh, on the horizon, but that's not a reason to give up hope and that there's lots of exciting things uh, coming too. That's lovely. That was really lovely. I mean, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, don't give up hope. Um, I think we often do sometimes. And I think, Stuart, for our listeners that want to find out more about the amazing work you've done, because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of it. Where, where would you direct them? <laughs> well, you can find me on the socials uh, with Real Dr. Stu, which is R-E-A-L-D-O-C-T-O-R-S-T-U. Uh, or you can Google me, Stuart Farman, then you'll find various bits and bobs that I've been uh, getting myself uh, busy with. So, yeah, but uh, if people got any questions, then they just uh, reach out to me, as they say. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. And you can buy my books, of course. Yeah, no, please do. So I have several. Um, I think it's really important that people know that Stuart writes incredible, informative books. And if you want to learn more, to definitely check. They're all they're in every bookstore, aren't they, and on Amazon online? <laughs> Uh, they're not in every book, sure, but if they're not, then just ask them to get it stocked. So, yeah, and yes, other other online retailers are available. I like to Perfect. try and support local bookshops and other things like that. And other, but yes, they're they're all available very easily on Amazon. Brilliant, Stuart. Thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. Nice one. It's always a pleasure. If you've all enjoyed Food for Thought, you're going to love what's coming up. We've got so many amazing episodes. So if you're not already, make sure you subscribe because that way it will just pop up and tell you it's ready for you to listen to every single Monday. And it would be brilliant if you have time to leave a review. I know now and understand that these reviews of how you 
feel the podcast goes or if you learn anything from it can help other people reach it and hopefully they'll be able to take a lot away from it too. So for more information about my best-selling book, The Science of Nutrition, please do let me know if you've got your copy. The Retrition Clinic, if you want to book in and get some advice, healthy recipes, and so much more, please go and visit retrition.com. And you can follow me at Retrition on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.